All right, everybody, welcome back to the Sons of Saturday. It is Sunday, July 19th, and we got a great episode coming up for you guys. Really, really excited. My name is Pat Finn, coming at you live from Charlotte, North Carolina. We got Billy Ray Mitchell out in San Diego and Grayson Wimbish out in Los Angeles. We also got a hokey haiku coming today, but we're going to play it with our Justin Hamilton interview. Before we get into it this afternoon, we got to let you know, as we always do, that Sons of Saturday is brought to you by our favorite people and our favorite person at the Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg, Virginia, uh, Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts, the king of Blacksburg, the king of the New River Valley. Uh, You know, we go to we go to pharmacies all the time. I mean, I've been to a handful of pharmacies. I've never been to a pharmacy like the Main Street Pharmacy. This is a guy who cares about Blacksburg, cares about tech, cares about Virginia and the New River Valley community. He will he will greet you with a smile. Head on down to the Main Street Pharmacy where you are not a number. You are a neighbor. All right, we're going to get into our three big things here. Three big things. What happened in Virginia Tech uh, this week? But first of all, going to kick it over to Bill real quick to run us through our favorite homes in Blacksburg. Housing is important. Housing is important. Speaking of housing, uh, just moved into a wonderful new apartment here in Crown Point, just a little bit out of the ways of Pacific Beach, San Diego, for those familiar. But as I was looking around, I had certain boxes that I wanted to check. Look, I wanted to have a nice view. I wanted to have some nice amenities. You know, so I was, uh, it took me a while. Took me a while to look around, found it on Facebook. But what we're telling you is we did the research for you. We have the place that checks all of your boxes, that has everything that you need right in the Blacksburg community. And they're even giving you away some cash and some savings to jump on board. Let me head on over to the website. Can you hear me typing? I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Oh, I'm here. Go on over to the huboncampus.com slash Blacksburg. Oh, flash special. $100 off all four by four floor plans plus... Get up to $700 when you sign. Contact the office for more details. We've been over the details. Beautiful study lounge, beautiful jacuzzis in your own backyard um, or back patio, whichever you'd like to call it. And the rooms, you're going to be the first one to live there. Don't have to worry about some dude who leaves his omelets crusty under the uh, under the stove or his dog is you know peeing all over the carpet or something. You're going to be the first one. First one. So if you want to jump in and you want to be the first one to live in this wonderful facility, head on over to the hub on campus.com slash Blacksburg. And please, please let them know that the Sons of Saturday sent you on over. So Pat, why don't you kick us off with our three? That was, I'm not going to, I don't mean to toot my own horn. That might've been one of the best read-offs that we have done. That was really good. For the hub. Uh, so, that so, was money. Should, so I should get a call from the hub and say, yo, 10 new, uh, 10 new leases signed this week. It'd be good for us. It'd be good for you. So, Pat, kick us off with the three big things from the Virginia Tech community. Okay, three big things. Now, I know that we're sounding like a broken record, uh, but that's just, that's just what it is today, guys. Robert Wooten, defensive end. Alec Bryant, defensive end. Uh, both, both Virginia Tech defensive ends announced that they are entering the transfer portal Uh, earlier last week. Now, this is a bummer in a lot of ways. Um, The first thing you think about is these are both Texas guys, Virginia Tech, 
It's been recruiting Texas. They're from the class of 2020. And uh, they both, you know, took the risk to go to Virginia Tech uh, to play to play defensive end at Tech. The fact that we have two guys from Texas who are transferring away from Virginia Tech is not a good look, no matter how you look at it. Like, we are not detectives. We don't know what happened. We do know that, at least from Robert Wooten, uh, reported from him specifically on Twitter, you know, this was not what he wanted to happen. He was satisfied with the staff. He loved Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is where he wanted to be. Um, yeah, we heard <clears throat> we heard that there's some type of suspension due to a minor discipline issue and that instead of, you know, taking a year off, it looks like uh, Brian and Wooten are looking to transfer. Um, yeah, that Wooten, is speculation. Just just a reminder. We that know. is speculation. <clears throat> you know, I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not a detective here, but <clears throat> uh, you know, Robert Wooten was a guy who was getting a ton of reps on the defense, providing depth. Uh, on the defensive line, Justin Beadle is also trans is transferring in the portal. So you have your uh, top three defensive players from the 2020 class in the transfer portal: Beatles, Wooten, and Bryant. Two of them from Texas, and then you know you have Tyree Saunders who transferred as well. So it's bad optics for Texas VT, no matter how you look at it. Like it's just it's just not where you want to be. It's it, it's not a good look for our 2020 class in general. And then the real issue and the immediate issue is the defensive end depth uh, concerns that are emerging from losing three guys uh, that should, you know, should have been returning this year. Um, So that turns the attention towards newcomer, excuse me, that turns the attention towards newcomers, uh, you know, Matthias Carroll and Cole Nelson, who are both uh, just getting on campus that turns attention towards the portal can we can we get anyone from the transfer portal uh, that turns attention to just guys on our roster right now that you know we might be asking even more of? Um, so it's not a great situation. Uh, it seems like whenever we're having some positive momentum, that you know we turn around and it, it feels like a Monday because we get hit with some some tough news. What 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 were uh, what were your guys' thoughts? Here? I, I, I mean, I it's. It's definitely, I'll preface this by saying this is definitely probably from a roster management and uh, just situation for next year perspective. This is the worst thing that's happened this year. Um, I, I, I want to say the first thing that I'm, I didn't see this news and then immediately think, oh my God, they're from Texas. Like, that's just not how I looked at it. It's, it's, it's devastating from a depth perspective uh, for the defensive end position. Um so that's definitely a bummer. Uh, I'm not sure if you mentioned this. It looks like there are seven defensive ends left in the roster with Amari Barno, Emmanuel Belmar, Jalen Griffin, Eli Adams, Taiwan Garbett, who we didn't have last year, uh, which would be a great add-in this year. And then you have uh, Nelson and Carroll from last year. Um, how can we address this? Um, obviously going to need young guys to step up. Again, Garbett coming back from last year will be a nice add. Maybe we do some stand-up linebacker stuff on the edge. I'm not really sure. Uh, pressuring the quarterback is going to be monumental uh, coming up into this season. Um, but it was, I don't know. I, I, from, from If you take everything this offseason, I think it's been a very positive offseason. I don't look at this and think like, oh, here's just another thing. This is devastating on its face um, from what we've, from everything that I've heard. And again, I'm not 
breaking news here, but from everything that I've heard, um, it, it, it wasn't a, I don't like Virginia tech. I'm bouncing out of here. It seems like something that was kind of out of the football teams and out of their own hands. Um, and they kind of just decided to do what they wanted to do. Uh, and I can't blame them for that. Um, but, uh, it is what it is. And we're gonna have to find guys to step up and it's, it's, it's that simple. I guess the unfortunate thing, and I even tweeted this, uh, the cycle of good news and bad news with Virginia Tech. Again, Bill, I agree with you in the sense of like, I didn't see this as the, uh, you know, screw Texas to VT or whatever. It's like, no, dude, we just lost talented guys. Like, that's what I'm upset about at the end of the day, obviously. Um, Yeah, with with every bit of good news, it seems like uh, we, we do get bad news ready for that pattern to, to stop. But enough about that. Uh, let's talk about the good news, gentlemen. Gunnar Givens committed to Virginia Tech on Friday. That makes four Fridays in a row with back-to-back four stars from the Commonwealth of Virginia. In my comp... Two Fridays. Two Fridays, excuse me. Uh, error there in the... Numbers are hard. Here. Numbers are hard over here, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Um, Coach Vice, Coach Vance Vice, man. Throw money at that man and keep him in Blacksburg. He has pulled six commitments for the class of 2022. Givens, fifth-ranked recruit in the Commonwealth and fourth-ranked interior offensive lineman nationally. Seventh uh, Virginia commit, which is huge, 19th commit overall for the class of 2022. He chose VT over UVA, Clemson, Bama. The Nittany Lions and UNC—that's good company. Why did we order? That was interesting order. I mean, you put UVA as the first one that he chose. Uh, chose over. There's some. There's some big boy. Football, well, that's that's that, that, coming that, after hey, listen, man, that, uh, In the Commonwealth, in the Commonwealth, that's big for the kid to stay at home. He's been a Virginia Tech fan for what mm-hmm. seems like his entire life. So, you know, he tweeted the picture of him wearing like the Virginia Tech T-shirt and the VT backpack. And it's, I've seen a few of those pictures in the past, and those kids didn't commit to the Hokies. So, Gunnar Givens, welcome to Blacksburg, kid. We're happy to have you. And any thoughts on this, gentlemen? Vance Weiss is incredible. He has been since um, since arriving in Blacksburg. Uh, Gunnar Givens, I believe Matei wrote this article, was quoted as saying he was born to play for Coach Vance Weiss. Um, love to see that. He's one of one. Um, and uh, just a he is who he is. And, uh, I love playing for him. Uh, I'm a huge fan of him and his success has been, uh, great, both in developing players, putting, uh, I mean, seeing what he did with Christian Derrissaw what Christian Derrissaw and coach Weiss, I don't want that to get lost. It takes two to tango. Um, but making that happen first round draft pick, um, and really kind of putting Virginia tech on the map. We've had a great history with the, uh, with offensive line play. Um, and, um, looking forward to just getting talent in the room and just get developing those guys and seeing what we're able to do. It was a huge, huge reason we were able, we were able to be so successful on the ground last year. Um, and we're looking to build on that this year. So um, looking forward to forward to that continuing, man, I'm stumbling all over my words. <laughs> words are hard. Numbers are hard today. Yeah, <laughs> It's nice to, to land a guy like Gunnar Gibbons. Remember how uh, Grayson, you'll, you'll know this, like remember those offensive lines, in the Stein spring years yeah, where, you know, a lot of the time we just had Swiss cheese and now we're pulling guys like, Van, um, you know, like Gunnar Givens. We got the alliteration. We got Vance Vice and Gunnar Givens taking two to tango. <laughs> um, 
But no, I did see I did see Coach Vice is uh, ranked as one of the top recruiters for the 2022 class. I know a lot of that is due to volume, but um, you know he knows talent when he sees it. He's definitely someone that the entirety of Hokie Nation is is trusting on the trail and then you know in the film room and on the field. Um, so shout out to Coach Vice and shout out to Gunnar Givens. And this is just a a really good look for you know we, we talked about optics. Optics is a thing. Whether you know what's going on or not, optics is a thing. Uh, TX to VT optics, in my opinion, you know, took a hit last week. But VA to what VT. does that mean? What does that mean? Like for fans or like our Texas recruits now saying like what what is what does VT to te- Texas optics takes a hit mean? I think mean? I think I see. Go ahead, I Pat. See, yeah. I see. T- I see two guys who. They were our two top ranked recruits from the class of 2020, which, you know, there were only 15 guys in that class to begin with defensive players taking a gamble, going to Virginia tech from Texas, Virginia tech is taking a gamble. These kids are taking a gamble. It's not working out. You know, they are not finishing their careers at Virginia tech. I think looking at it that way, that's, that's not a win. Like, is it a huge loss? No, but it's not a win. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's like this dramatic thing, but is I'm that saying not it's, with it's, anybody. Like if a Florida kid doesn't finish, his, if a Florida kid doesn't finish his career, is it? I, I just don't. Th- I don't know who's no. looking at it that way. I think. I think. I think it's it's easy for fans to look at it and be like to label the Texas to VT thing. And and granted, a large portion of this is how vocal coaches, players, and recruits were on Twitter about the whole Texas to VT thing. But I don't think there are recruits in Texas that are saying, oh, man, I'm interested in Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's interested in me. Oh, what, what's the history with Virginia Tech and Texas play? Oh, these two guys didn't finish their career there. I'm not really that interested anymore. I think it's more of a fan perception thing than it is anything else. I just I think it's, like I it's said, more in the, in the it, totem pole of things that I care about when I read about the story. It was like, damn, this hurts our defensive line depth. I think I guess you, you you have to find the happy medium. Like y'all remember when Demetrius Davis committed and then he flipped to Auburn like that was kind of we had we had what was it Neville who committed with him as well who was also from Texas and everyone was super excited. We sold t-shirts and like then all of a sudden neither of them are coming anymore. We did get Wooten and we did get Alec Bryant and now they're both in the portal. That's fine, but it's from an optics perspective of that whole Texas 2VT movement, I mean, like, I guess it didn't really work out for any of those guys in Blacksburg, at least. So, yes, I agree that it's kind of, there's a negative connotation there, a right. bad taste in the mouth. Okay. Like, like we like we sold T-shirts. We were tooting the Texas to VT horn. Guys don't work out at Virginia Tech from Texas. Not a good look. Like, that's it. Like you At know, least no, recently, no, yeah. Yeah, No, you know. And Latrell Neville, Cannon Boone, you know, Demetrius Davis. Do I love Alex Orgy? Absolutely. And these other guys um, who are currently committed from Texas, and I want them to have fantastic careers. Daywan Lofton, man. Circle the name. Circle the name. That's 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 Pat's guy. You know, Um, I love Daywan Lofton. So all I'm trying to say is it's not, it wasn't a a net positive. mm -hmm. Um, And we'll just leave it at that. But it's a great look for Virginia. That Gunnar Givens is staying home. That Ramon Brown is also staying home. Uh, that said, you know, j- just from a news perspective, Bryson Jennings, defensive end, 6'6", huge guy out of Midlothian, 
committed to UNC on Thursday. It was between us and UNC. We were feeling good about Bryson Jennings, you know, probably the last two weeks. And he went to the bad guys on Thursday night. Not, not, you know, not the, uh, not the end of the world here. I I think the way to look at it is, you know, you're not going to get every single top ranked Virginia recruit. If you would have told me and Bryce Chalkley said this, and I said, that is a great point. If you would have told me that within, you know, one week, you know, the decision of Ramon Brown, Gunnar Givens and Bryson Jennings, that Virginia tech would get two out of three. I would have taken that every single day uh, of the week. So Happy with that. Got to keep the positive momentum going. Continue uh, to drive that that positive momentum with the Virginia folks. On the that flip said, side of that, on the flip side of that, though, it is tough to lose out on Jennings. Why? Because his old man Brian Jennings was a standout tight end for the Hokies in the early '90s. For Coach Frank Beamer, started 22 games, scored four touchdowns. He's a product of the 804 man. He's a Virginia boy, like. It's tough to lose a legacy to the bad guys always, especially UNC. So I don't think a lot of Hokies knew that his old man was a Hokie, but it it is tough. Definitely. Like, especially UNC. Not happy about it, but it is what it is. (laughs) But it is what it is. Not happy about that. Um, But just to, you know, give you an idea of, of where we are right now, this was our 19th commit. Uh, Gunnar Givens on Friday. As of Sunday morning, the 18th of July, uh, we have the 15th ranked class in the nation, the third ranked class in the ACC behind uh, Clemson and Florida State. Long way to go here. Long way to signing day. Long way to December. Remaining targets that uh, you know Hokie fans should be keeping their ears and eyes out for. Uh, one, Corbin Page. Currently uh, committed to West Virginia. He's a tight end from West Virginia. Actually went to the same high school as both uh, Doug Nestor and Wyatt Millam. Um, He's currently committed to West Virginia. Evan Watkins did predict a flip uh, back in June, but he's a big, big dude. 6'5", 245, uh, could be uh, the next great Virginia Tech tight end if we can uh, get him in the boat for 2022. And then there's the cams, the cams from the secondary. Cam Miller, he's a four-star cornerback. Cam Johnson, also a four-star cornerback. So you got Cam Miller from Fernandina Beach, Florida, up by Jacksonville. Uh, We know that he's trending towards Penn State. It's going to be us or them. He's making his decision uh, probably within the next month. He said he's going to be making his decision before the season starts. Keep your eye on Cam Johnson. He's from Baltimore. Cam Johnson is evaluating Virginia Tech, Boston College, and Maryland. Uh, And it looks like it'll be us or BC. I would think he put us in his top three uh, not too long ago. Don't think he has a commitment uh, commitment date set up yet. But Jeff Halfley has been recruiting. uh, (laughs) He's been recruiting his you-know-what's-off. So definitely a threat up to Boston College. And a couple other folks here, uh, DeAndre Martin and Reed Pulliam. Both of them are coming out of Life Christian Academy, which is uh, south of Richmond in Chesterfield, Virginia. Martin is a 6'5", 290 uh, defensive tackle. 
And Reed Pulliam is a 6'3", 220 linebacker. Um, so we made the top five for Martin, the defensive tackle, along with South Carolina, which he uh, is trending towards Florida State, Tennessee, and Duke. Uh, we were Martin's first Power 5 offer. He did get a crystal ball from uh, South Carolina's main insider this past Friday. So um, assuming he's making his decision soon, and then his high school teammate, Reed Pulliam, put us in his top three with Duke and Maryland. Um, there is a crystal ball in for Duke for Reed Pulliam, but uh, no visit to Virginia Tech yet. I did see on his 24-7 profile, you know, just to, to continue this conversation, but the only like description it says in his profile on 24-7 is originally from Texas, uh, which I thought was kind of funny. But um, we'll see what happens with the cams. We'll see what happens with Corbin Page. DeAndre Martin, Reed Pulliam. Um, but, you know, we got to continue the momentum. I know we're ranked 15th right now. A lot of that is due to the high volume of commitments, uh, you know, two of them being top uh, Virginia recruits uh, getting that fourth star. But long way to go, and, you know, we'll see what happens. But that all said, we are going to move into big thing number three, our Justin Hamilton interview so uh, we'll jump on over to that right now. everybody so today we welcome virginia tech defensive coordinator justin hamilton to the podcast coach ham was a swiss army knife in his playing days at virginia tech where he played wide receiver running back and free safety from 2002 to 2005 after tech he went on to the nfl and played for the cleveland browns and the washington redskins and then coach ham entered the coaching ranks in 2011 and has coached on the defensive side of the ball at UVA Wise, VMI, and Virginia Tech. He returned to Blacksburg in 2018 as the director of player personnel, or player development, I should say, on defense. And in 2019, he was promoted to the staff as safeties coach, and then became the defensive coordinator before the 2020 season. Now, Coach, we do have a Hokey Haiku submission uh, for you today. Uh, so let me just run through this haiku real quick. Three positions played, whatever to help the team, Jay Ham, true hokey. And that was submitted by a fellow Clintwood, Virginia native, Grady Baker. Coach wow. Ham, what do you think? What do you think of that? First of all, uh, shout out to my elementary school teachers that I even know what a haiku is. <laughs> And second of all, that's awesome. I, Grady Baker, that I was when you were going to, as you were going through it, I'm thinking, who did this? Then when I hear Clintwood native, it's like, oh, wow, who, like, really, who did this? And then Grady Baker was one of the names I was not expecting at all. That's awesome. A well done job. Very well done, Grady. <laughs> Grady B. Grady B's the man. Um, so, coach, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, Ever since that recruit night in Arlington at the Arlington Cinema and Draft House, 
in 2019 when you stepped in uh, for Coach Wiggins and broke down that 2019 class. Did you ever think that, you know, from where you were that night, you'd be in the seat that you are right now? Not for one second did I think that. Um, you know, I, I what's crazy is I can give you an entire story on like where I was at in my coaching career prior to getting the call from Coach. Well, actually, a meeting at Woodbridge High School, which was total chance occurrence. Uh, but then when I got to Virginia Tech, it was like, all right, whatever my job is, just be good at it. Like I've wanted to be at Virginia Tech as a coach since I played here or since I got into coaching. And my thought was, whatever you do, don't screw this up. Like whatever that becomes, it becomes, but do not screw this up. So that's what I was thinking that night. <laughs> and I had no idea this would happen. Well, you did, you did a phenomenal job. I remember leaving that event and I was like, one, I'm fired up about this 2019 class. And then two, all right, Jay Ham, we need that guy on staff like ASAP. Like we need him around and we need him having a serious role. So we got that. So we're happy about that. Well, I Coach, appreciate wanted, that. Wanted to talk a little bit about um, kind of the story of how you've ended up at Virginia Tech. And, and forgive me, I'm going to be a little long-winded here. Um, but just for context, uh, the coaching career that we could find on the internet started off at UVA Wise as a conditioning coach. Uh, and then in 2011 was your first year as a defensive coordinator. Then move on to VMI, hired in 2014 to coach the outside linebackers. And in 2015, new coach Scott I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Walkenheim. Oh, you got it right. You got it right. Oh, okay. No, Walkenheim. Right. You got it right. Yeah. Walkenheim announced he would be retained. Uh, and then you were brought to Virginia Tech as the director of player personnel for the defense and promoted to safeties coach in 2019. And then filling in the spot for the legendary coach, Bud Foster. Uh, I want to ask, as you look at your career, whether it was as a player, whether it was as a coach, whether it was a GA, who were some of the most influential figures in your career and what are some of the lessons and nuggets that you took to make you the coach that you are today? Excellent, excellent question. And to answer it, I'm just going to go all the way back. Um, going back to when I was probably seven or eight years old, uh, my grandfather, there was a group of guys that were like all the, the granddads or that age group around Clintwood that would go watch the high school team practice. I went up with him one day and I saw little kids my age that were carrying towels and water bottles and footballs and like doing all this stuff. And I'm thinking, how do I get to do that? Well, it turns out that I ended up being a ball boy, a manager for my high school team from second grade all the way, or for first grade, all the way up until uh, eighth grade when I could start playing. And my high school coach, going back to that, my high school coach was uh, like a father figure to me. Uh, great influence, great impact. The Probably the best nugget that I took away from him was humility. I remember being a freshman in high school. This is crazy, but it's small town. Uh, was having a good game. We were beating the team pretty handily. I'm out of the game at the end. And a kid came to like where I was sitting on the bench and asked me to sign his program, asked for an autograph. So I'm thinking like, do the, the right thing, do the nice thing for the little kid and sign an autograph. And my high school coach was hot. He was like hot about it. And I didn't know why. I didn't know what I did wrong. I'm 14, 15 years old. And he tells me afterwards, like that just sends a really bad message towards what your focus is, towards what you're trying to say. He's like, this is a small community. You can get to that kid or to his parents and you can sign it after the game so that you don't give off the impression that you're bigger than what's going on on the field and the guys playing. And I remember that nugget amongst many others from him forever. Uh, defensive coordinator in high school was a guy named Mike Strouth. He was also my civics and my government teacher. 
in high school. He was the track coach. He's the guy that tricked slash convinced me into to running hurdles also. Uh, but he was awesome at giving just worldly knowledge. I mean, he was like just had knowledge on everything. And he inspired me to try to learn about things, to try to figure about outside the box. Like he knew a ton about the government system, a ton about United States and world history, which got me intrigued and interested in that and just made me want to be well-rounded. Uh, going to college, it was interesting playing all the positions that I played because I got a chance to be up close and personal with three different position coaches as well as Coach Beamer. Um, and, you know, really from Billy Height, what I learned was, uh, who's a, a fantastic human being, but what I learned was it, everything with Coach Height was all good as long as you didn't create unnecessary drama or unnecessary issues. And I learned that from him about don't be a guy that I have to manage. And it was really a phrase that a lot of guys at VMI joke about. I always say, don't be that guy. Every situation has a that guy. If you can live your whole life and not be that guy, you're probably going to be okay. Uh, but kind of learned that from him. And then from Tony Ball, Coach Ball was like, it was insane. What was crazy is I always wanted to tell Coach Ball when I got moved to receiver, he would talk to us for 10 minutes on the first step of our route when we had off coverage, like it wasn't even press. And I'm like, Coach Ball, we've got Kevin Jones and Lee Suggs. Like, I'm never going to get the ball. Like, what difference does it make what I do? Uh, but he taught me the importance of detail, the importance of being diligent, of being organized, of always being ready. Uh, so I took that from him. And then from uh, Lorenzo Ward Whammy, as we called him, you know, kind of what I learned from him was keep it simple. Like he had a really good way of making our job seem very simple and within the scheme, within the complex uh, uh, system that Coach Foster was running, everything always seemed really simple. I took that from him. Moving on. Now I had Corey Unlin, who was the defensive coordinator uh, for the Lions with Patricia. He's now in San Fran, actually with TAP. But from him, I just I would go to him with questions as a rookie. I sat by him in meetings every day and I was like, I probably wore him out. And what I learned from him was like I would ask him a football related question, like to draw something or what if this or that. And like it was amazing to me when he took an expo marker or grabbed a script of paper and would just start drawing concepts and talking it through. I'm like, I have a really long way to go before I'm on this guy's level. And I thought that's what a professional coach should be like. And then Mel Tucker, who was the defensive backs coach, he was 34 years old. He was coaching guys that were older than him that made quadruple what he made. I could tell that both were special coaches. I didn't know anything about coaching, but they were both special coaches. From Mel Tucker, what I learned was how to engage each person individually how to coach guys differently based on their person personalities, based on what drove them, based on their interests, just little things. He was great at, at grabbing little things about each guy to be able to teach you the system, to keep it relaxed and funny, be serious when he needed to be. I could tell that he was a very relatable person. Uh, Todd Grantham, I learned a lot of scheme from him as the defensive coordinator. You know, he was kind of, uh, you could tell that he was a fiery, passionate dude. And, you know, I always, uh, I've told him this through text, but I always felt, uh, felt like I let him down because I wasn't as professional as I should have been in my time in Cleveland. I didn't understand how to be a pro. Uh, and I was just a kid that was happy to have a little bit of money, happy to be in the NFL. But I learned from him that if you put your name on somebody, then they, you're expected as that person to produce or to be what they, they put their 
reputation on the line for. And if you're on the other side of that, that you've got to be very cautious about who you put your name on. Um, and then from Coach Beamer, you know, I kind of skipped past him, but going Coach Beamer and Coach Foster, from Coach Beamer, it was same guy every day. That was the, the number one lesson, same guy every day. That's what I took away from Coach Beamer. And then from Coach Foster, it was what's important now. It's the, the mantra that we all know and love. And that, like, the first time I heard him say it, I was actually on offense. Um, and for me, it was like, that's the mantra that I want to try to live by. So I really took pieces of all of that. Player-wise, there was a lot of guys. And, and Billy, you thought you were going to be long-winded. Like, I got you beat, I'm pretty sure. But, uh, you know, I really just try to take the parts of everybody that I've gotten a chance to observe and watch and I steal it and I cite my sources. I tell them I'm going to steal it. I cite it when I use it. And then I also have taken things from people that maybe I wouldn't want to do or don't want to be considered as. And I've tried to steer away from that. So that's long winded, but that's kind of the answer. As you look at how the road led you back to Virginia Tech and it was, um, your, your coaching career has definitely been, I don't want to call it abnormal, but the rise has been, has been swift, and obviously you've learned a lot on the way. What drew you back to Blacksburg, especially going from being a defensive coordinator, being a, uh, a coach of a specific unit, to come back as a director of player personnel? Um, it's definitely a little bit of, a, of an abnormal move, but how did, it change, how did it help you, and what led you to make that decision? So this is also, this is the part where my wife says you give too many details. So if you need to trim it, trim it, but I'm going to give it all to you. Sure. Um, so when I left UVA wise, that was way more difficult than what I ever expected. I did not realize the impact that it had on the kids on your team when you told them you were leaving. And that was really, really difficult. Um, but I was in a situation where I was working for good guys and with good guys. Uh, the ADs actually at Virginia Tech was the, who was the AD of Virginia Tech guide, head coaches from Christiansburg, uh, good people. But I, they just they didn't have the same career aspirations, I don't think, that I had. I wanted to try to compete on the highest level. Uh, when I went to VMI, um, you know, I felt like I've ascended to FCS football and realized that I was still very much far from it. VMI is a tough place. Shout out to those guys for what they did this spring, by the way. Um, but as I was there, it got to a point where with the hours that I was keeping with the travel, I would travel as often as I could to go visit other staffs, network, to learn some ball. Uh, and then having two children at this point, um, my daughter was infant at that time and she had hand, foot and mouth disease. Uh, while my son was trying to, to go to preschool for the first time, I believe, uh, my wife was working a job where she was basically working full time. And it was really taxing on her. And when my daughter had hand, foot and mouth, it was like 3 a.m. I was getting up at like 3.30 in the morning to go in the office at that time. And my wife's looking at me at three and I'm up now. So I'm just going to go on in. And she's like, I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. Like it was wearing her really, really thin. And finally come to the 2017 year, I told her like, if nothing happens this off season, as far as an advancement or something of that sort, um, I may need to go inside. Somebody just decided to, to mow their lawn. <laughs> but anyways, uh, if nothing happens this offseason, then I'll get out of coaching. Like I'll, I'll find something that's not as taxing on you. So that's where I was in 2017 following that season. By the way, at VMI, great kids, really good coaches, but we won zero games out of 11. So <laughs> 
I'm at a low place. Well, I was going to Woodbridge High School to recruit for VMI. And when I walked into the main office, there was Zon Burden, Bud Foster, and Justin Fuente. Well, with Coach Fu, I had written him following the 2016 season. Coach, congrats on what I believe is an amazing job at the toughest job in the country to come in and replace Coach Beamer. And it was awesome as an alum to see Virginia Tech playing on championship Saturday again. The following year, prior to this encounter, I write him a letter and it's now the 10th assistant rule is in play. So now I'm like more aggressive and I'm like, coach, like I want to be that 10th assistant. Well, he wrote me back both times, but I never really met him. So then I see him in the the main office and I just have a, a casual five to 10 minute conversation. Zahn had played at VMI. So we had a connection that way. Coach Foster, obviously. And then coach Fuente. Now there's a face to the name of these ghost letters that he's gotten. Well, he gets in the car with Coach Foster after that. And I've been in touch with Coach Foster saying, Coach, I'll clean the toilets if it means I can get back to Virginia Tech. So they, I'm sure, had some type of a conversation. And about a week or so later, I get a text from Coach Fu saying, hey, I just want to make sure you have my number. Uh, As an alum, as a former player, you're always welcome here. Anything you ever need, let me know. So I'm excited about that. But then it continues on into late January now where I haven't heard anything. And mind you, I'm like highly considering I'm going to have to get out of coaching to save my family. A Sunday at the end of an official visit weekend, I'm standing in the lobby with some families and some kids. And now that I have his number, I see Justin Fuente show up on the phone and I walk outside. My heart like is thumping slash fell to my feet. And on the other end, he's, hey, how you doing? Da da da. Uh, By the way, I may have something for you. And at that point, it was like, I don't care what comes after this. I don't care what it means. It could be like, you're going to be the guy that sells hot dogs, carries the tray up and down the steps, like whatever it is, I'm in. Well, then he tells me what it is. um, And he said, hey, there's you and another person. I never to this day don't know who the other person was. But the next day I drove down and we met, we visited. And then I talked to my wife. My wife starts bawling, crying. As soon as I tell her this, it's not even like an actual thing yet. This just might be a thing. And she starts bawling, crying. And then as it turns out, it's the director of player development. He said, to be honest with you, there's not a big, long list of job descriptions. It's really you do whatever I or Bud Foster need you to do. And it was like, I'm, dude, you, whatever, like, I'll do it. You name it, I'll do it. I'm there. And that's kind of how it, how I got back. Coach Ham, I gotta, I, I gotta ask, if if Coach Ham, if stuff doesn't work out that way, what is what is Coach Ham doing? I, I, did, had you put any thought into it? Is Coach Ham selling software? Is Co- Coach Hamilton coaching high school football? What what was the, What would have been the next move? So my brother-in-law is my wife's an identical twin, and they basically married the same guy. He was a basketball player. He played for Bruce Pearl at Milwaukee and then went to Tennessee, GA'd for him there, and then was on their staff and ended up being on Conzo Martin's staff and got out of coaching. And he got into life insurance and wealth management. And, I mean, he's a grinder. He's the same age as me, eight years in the company. He's, like, running the branch basically now and that kind of deal. Um, And I was going to go work for him. That's I was going to I don't know what that means. And I don't know if I could have done it, but I know that's what I was going to do. Well, I think I think we can all say and you could say we're glad that you're putting together blitz packages and not retirement packages. So I'm definitely glad of that. (laughs) Uh, My next question for you is, as you were promoted to safety's coach in 2019, and I want to preface this because I know I I know you would mention it. um, You were always focused on what's important now, uh, which was winning football games in that season. 
Um, but when did it come to your understanding that there's an opportunity that I'm being considered or that there might be a fit for being the defensive coordinator at Virginia Tech? Was this a conversation you had with the coaching staff? How did it kind of transition from that? Because getting promoted to safeties coach and then getting eyeballed for the for the defensive coordinator position in that quick of a quick of a turnaround. It never really was official like this is your moment to impress me. It was at some point, and, and when Coach Foster announced the retirement, I was as shocked as the rest of Hokie Nation. Like, it was like, wow. I mean, we all knew that that day would come, but wow, like kind of just floored by it. And he told me probably, I don't remember if it was that day, but it was within a day or two, if it wasn't that day, that he said to me, I feel pretty confident about recommending you as the guy to replace me to coach food. And like, when he said that to me, I'm not going to be able to, to articulate what that meant and how that felt, but it was like, it's one of the greatest things that I'll ever hear in my life that Bud Foster would, would do that. And uh, that was about it. Really. I never, I didn't know, like, you're going to have a formal interview. I never did interview. I never had a formal presentation to put together. I never had anything of the sort. All I thought really, and this is going to sound cliche, but what I thought was we need to send Bud Foster out on a high note that he needs to ride off the right way. And, and the fact that his last home game was a shutout, like, even though that season was up and down, that's pretty awesome. Um, but at the end of the regular season, um, coach Fu and I were on the road recruiting together and we just were kind of talking, you know, just talking about things that we could do to maybe improve on defense, but it was never, and I always thought like, cause coach Fu was a very observant person. I thought like, you better make sure that you answer these questions well, not necessarily right. I don't think he was looking for a right or wrong answer, but answer them well. Uh, and I thought about it, but. I never really knew that I was considered until after the regular season and really right around the time that I was mentioned as, Hey, this is what we're going to do. Um, so again, that sounds like that's cliche. If there was more to it, I'd be glad to give it, but it was really that. And I just was like, I really, my wife was like, you think you got a shot at this? And I kept telling her the whole time, I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. Like this, I, I don't, I feel like I would be all right if that happened, but I, I don't feel like I have a realistic shot at it. So. So coach three part question for you here. When you got the defensive coordinator job, a, what kind of nerves did you experience? B what was going through your mind on the drive home from Merriman and then see how do you break that news to your wife and kids? So I'm going to kind of go in a little bit of like abnormal order. So sure. I'm going to answer C first. Okay. That news was broken by Coach Fuente to my wife and sort of kids. My daughter came down in the, in the middle of him being there and like she just sat on my knee. She has no idea. But the night before it was public knowledge, he texted me and asked for my address. And it was like 1030 at night and he came over and he's he wanted Brittany, my wife, to be a part of him saying, like, there's a lot of perks to this job, but this is what comes with it. And it's the whole family that's affected with what comes with it. I'll always appreciate him for doing that. So that's how they found out. And 
the first part was what went through my mind was really, we just gotten off the road recruiting that whole week. I wanted to make sure that I had my thoughts organized from, and my notes organized from recruiting. Then we had bowl practice. And then the B answer, there was no drive home from Merriman. We went directly to the uh, Blacksburg airport hopped on a state plane and flew out to go recruiting. <laughs> like, I mean, it was, um, I had probably 500 texts. I don't know how many calls, how many emails, how many direct messages on social media to where I'd always told myself, if a break like this ever happens, you're going to respond to everybody. And it was like, I don't even know drinking from a fire hose. It was like trying to drink an entire ocean. And like I and then go to recruit. So there was a lot. Uh, I really did not have time to think about what are you going to do as the coordinator? What's your structure, your system? What's that? Who are you going to hire? Like all those things like that. That part didn't enter my mind because we had to get out on the road and go recruit. And we had a bowl game and Coach Foster was still the defensive coordinator. So it was like I was basically I, I use this analogy a lot like those bouncy balls you get in the quarter machines. Put one of those in a dryer like that's where my mind was. It was like that. And then from there, you know, 2020 happens and we get blindsided by 2020 COVID what the heck was everything like? You know, you're implementing a new defense. You have an infant at home. You get COVID yourself and have to hand over duties to Coach Smitty. Like, it all seemed like the perfect storm. But what the heck was that like? So, basically, uh, I, I hesitate to use military analogies. But for the sake of this answer, I'm going to use one. Let's say that you've got to fly to a foreign country You've got, for the most part, foreign people that are going to be in your company and you're trying to teach them English on how to give them the battle plans. And in the middle of you trying to teach them English, it's like, oh, well, I got to go back to America. I'll be back. And when I get back, we got to go put boots in the ground and do this. But in the meantime, like, let's meet on the computer and we'll continue talking about what we started talking about. Like, that's really how it felt. I mean, it, it was like I knew we had good coaches and I knew that we had good people and, and capable people. But it, we we had never like there, even if we went word by word and used all of Bud's system, they had never coached it. Daryl Tapp played in it, but he never coached it. These guys never coached it. So even if that's and, – and we didn't deviate. We didn't intend to deviate very much at all from Bud's system. But by the time it came to, all right, what they have called this, what Bud called it, what I would like for us to be able to systematically call it, same concepts with different verbiage. And now our kids, the kids, by the time we got to the season, the ones we were playing with, they'd never – a lot of them had never played in Bud's system. And then the guy that was in charge of building this language was not there to call it. So, like, it, it, I mean, I'm never going to make excuses for it. I refuse to do that. I made excuses when I got cut out of the NFL. And once I finally stepped in front of the mirror and said, dude, like, your, your playing career is on you. Like, it's nobody else's fault but your own. Then I'm, I had peace with it. It took me a long time to get there. But once I did, I had peace with it. So now I try to, to use that in every other experience that I have, I'm not ever going to make excuses, but I would be lying if I said that it wasn't about as difficult a situation as I can imagine. 
Coach, in your eyes, what were some of the positives of the COVID season in terms of getting younger guys like Dorian Strong, J.R. Walker, Nadir Thompson, and uh, Tyler Matheny reps? That was definitely a positive. Um, And then being forced to have to teach multiple players multiple jobs, but to keep a system simple. Like that to me, I mean, when we look at college football right now, if we take a pie chart, take a tiny sliver of a pie, that's the time as a coach that you're not thinking about football. Something, not necessarily X's and O's, but recruiting or managing your roster or this or that. Well, when you take that same pie chart, it's the same sliver that your college kids that you're coaching that they actually have to think about football. So it's a totally inverse pie graph. And I'd always understood that, but I never understood how important it is to shrink what you're trying to teach into digestible pieces or bites. And that's what it was really beneficial for me, for our kids. It was beneficial to learn different concepts, to in some cases be coached in technique work by different people, by different coaches on our staff, and then to have to adapt. I mean, if you're going to be a great team, if you're going to have great coaches, great players, you have to adapt. There's no way around it. And you obviously don't want to adapt or have to adapt as much as we had to. But to be thrown into that fire, that was an advantage. The other thing that was an advantage was, in my opinion, kids now. And I know that I trust me when I talk about the the kids, this is not get off my lawn or uh, OK, boomer, not that guy. Every, every adolescent, 18 to 22 year old, like we were different than the older generation when we were coming through. These guys are different than the older generations. I get it. But this generation, I feel like they are conditioned to steer away from the arena because if you make a mistake, you're viral in five seconds. It's not like on a Friday, I make a mistake downtown. And then on Monday, guys in the locker room are giving me stuff about it. This is like your viral right now. So I think the other thing that was very beneficial was being able to take some lumps and try to be an example for our kids that you get back in the arena. You do not let that keep you down. You stand up, you dust off and you go, go back at it. And that's kind of maybe deeper philosophically than what your question wanted. But I believe that that's important. We've seen some of the video or I'd say last year, one of the most gratifying things in a season that had its up and downs. Um, and I've been vocal about some of the challenges that we've faced. We've all been vocal about it, but one of the things that just made me smile and I think made everybody smile was seeing some of the footage or some of the uh, moments in the locker room after the UVA game. Um, and I just wanted to, from a release perspective of not just winning the game, but having that moment with so many of the guys that have been through so much. Can you just kind of speak to what, what that was like that last time in Lane Stadium all together to have that release after a season that was probably more challenging than anybody can, ima- can imagine? Uh, for me, it was kind of full circle. I know going into when we were supposed to play UVA the first time around, Uh, if I had gone to a doctor, I probably had ulcers knowing how many guys that weren't going to be available. Um, and then by the end, when we win that game, uh, it was just, I mean, for me, there was certainly a relief 
Uh, but I just thought about, I really thought about coach Fuente and I thought about our kids and going through the locker room, you know, uh, I mean, there was a lot of things that you could just tell. I mean, the way that, that like guys have cigars in the locker room and, you know, I mean, we, we fire marshals and all those people, safety people. I did not have a cigar FY, but like when guys are doing that, they've gone through some stuff. Like you don't just do that. You know, we've had some really big wins throughout my time here as a coach and as a player, nobody ever had a cigar in the locker room. And if you're going to do that, that means you've gone through some things. And uh, it was just, you know, I thought about, so all the players, I, I went up and hugged as many guys as I could, offense, defense, special teams, coaches, hugged as many guys as I could. And it was like, to me, the bond that you feel when like with family or like with anyone that you've really had to battle through some things together, like there's a special bond that exists when that happens. And I felt that like I was emotional. Uh, guys in the locker room were emotional. And by the end of that, I went and sat in our coach's locker room and I just sat there. I mean, I just sat like I sat back. I had a towel over my head and I just sat there. And it was like, I don't know exactly why we were put in these situations and in, in these circumstances, but however it works out, whether I'm working at Northwestern Mutual or whether I'm the defensive coordinator at Virginia Tech, I'm going to use this and I'm going to try to empower other people as much as I can to use this for good as a, as a builder for something. And then I stood in the shower for probably 30 minutes. Like I just stood there. And then when I got done, I just sat in my office chair. I tried to FaceTime my wife. She was in bed. Um, and then a couple of guys that were on the staff, we were just hanging around, being together. And it was like, I mean, it, it, at the end of a very, very difficult season, it didn't make up for everything, but it was a nice little reliever for a period of time, for sure. I got to say, and, and feel free to give your thoughts on this. I was, uh, so Oscar Bradburn, uh, was out here and we were, uh, we were kicking it yesterday. He's, uh, literally kicking it. He's kicking right now for, uh, at a camp up in, uh, up here in San Diego. And I was just talking about like kind of going through this season and everything else. And, and then the, you know, the bowl, the bowl game conversation came up and, and a bowl game streak, which we were, you were a part of. And he mentioned, he said, you know, I don't think people understand how challenging it was from literally feeling like every single day I'm a, I'm trying to do football arm's length from everybody else. Don't know when people are available and you have a temp job as a student where one day you'd show up and our, our teacher's not there on the zoom meeting or you just, just tremendous challenges. And when it came down to it and it was a team decision and the coaches made sure that they understood it was a team decision. I don't know that you could have, ended it on a better note than we ended it against UVA. Um, and that's really what it just boiled down to. I don't think I agree that you could not have ended it better than that. In fact, Tracy Clay said when he let me know, let coach Fuente know he was retiring. He's like, I don't know how you can end a coaching career better than that at his stage of his career. But I, for me, like I'm on record saying that I was going to support whatever the players chose. And I was, I was, I personally, the reason why I felt like a bowl game would be detrimental is because 
I don't know that we could have subjected our kids to more of the same. I don't know that we could have done that. We would have not gotten the traditional bowl week. It would have not been a reward. Maybe it was. I don't know because I haven't talked to anybody that was a part of bowl games. But to not go to the site for the week leading up to it, to not be able to have your family visit or spend time with you. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about our players. To not be able to do those things uh, and to go through three times a week testing and to go through the practices and to go through who's if guys were going to try to opt out and to coach Foos credit, he said to our team, like, we're either going to do this all together or we're not going to do it. And this was prior to them casting their votes. It's not going to be, Hey, we're going to go play in the bowl game. And then 12 guys are going to opt out. Like there's so many things that played into it. And I'm a part of the bowl streak and I have great pride in the fact that we had the longest bowl streak in the country. But for me, the scale tipped when I thought, is it most valuable to try to continue this bowl streak or is it most valuable to try to keep the nucleus of our team together? And I think that had we gone through that bowl process that we would have really put the nucleus, not that it would have broken up, but I think we would have put it in jeopardy because who's to say that some core key guys on our team might not disagree on, I wanted to play and you didn't. So now we have issues within the team. Uh, but if they chose to play, I was going to coach them as hard as I could. If they chose not to play, I was going to support them. So that was my stance. But it was and I also have told them, hey, if we go to 27 straight again, then they're going to go put an asterisk on 2020. Like they'll give us a reprieve for that. So let's focus on going to a bowl game this year, obviously, amongst other goals. But like and we certainly weren't the only team that opted out of a bowl game. So. I get it. I understand why Virginia Tech and Hokie Nation is disappointed in that. I totally get that. But at the same time, I felt like our kids were going to make a coherent and collective statement. And whatever that was, I was going to support it. Never thought about it from the nucleus of a, of a team perspective. That's an incredible insight that probably gets lost way too easily. Um I, I wanted to ask you uh, as we kind of transitioned into uh, my la- our last line of questions from uh, from us uh, about what Virginia Tech means to you. But we- we've heard about you- we've heard you speak about it at length. Uh, you can hear the passion and how you answer some of your questions. But uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask about this. And uh, John Cran actually submitted this in a more eloquent way than I probably could have put it. Uh, and he said, "I appreciated your post on Twitter a few weeks back, asking Hokie Nation to get behind this team this season." Can you comment on the effects on the effects negative social media has on individual players on this team? I'm a big believer in energy matters. What are your thoughts on this and the rest of that subject? That is very eloquently put. And that's the thing. That's who that's who's impacted. It's our players. Like, you know, and I don't want to go uh, Mike Gundy. I'm a man. I'm 40. But like I can I can decipher between the two praise or criticism. It doesn't affect me one way or the other. Um, But our players are very impressionable and it's like anything else. It's not so much whether what is said is true or false. I think that's very objective, but it's planting a seed. And in today's day and age where there's so many exit strategies for these kids that they didn't ask for. It's very difficult to hold a team together if there's a lot of negative energy that exists out there around them. And it's not even around them as it is around their coaches. 
And it's just like I equate it to if your parents growing up, if people always and by people always, I'm not talking about all of Hokie Nation. I'm just talking about if the people that speak negatively, if you continue to see that at some you're going to start off defending your parents, I would imagine. But at some point, it's going to be like, well, wait a minute. Like when you're giving me this punishment and it's never when they're doing what you want them to do. It's when they're doing something that you don't want them to do or your opinions being shaped that it becomes like, well, maybe that's not the right thing or maybe I don't have to listen to you. And then it goes into the locker room where you had the most sacred place in all of sports, but you have different pods of people that that could happen to where it's like, well, why don't you and I side with this person and, and we'll side with that person or, and now you have fracture all across the board. And that was really my overarching message was to pay homage to coach Beamer and coach Foster to express the reason why I support coach Fuente the way that I do. And to ask people to give a message to our kids that we need to be together. There's no other way that Virginia Tech is going to do it, really no other program, but for sure, Virginia Tech, the way we made it to a possession or two from beating Florida State for a national championship was, and I'm sure that there were people that said things that I never knew about, never heard about, but it was common knowledge that existed was that Virginia Tech really does this together. Beamer ball was an actual tangible thing. And the eight straight seasons of 10 plus wins or or, uh, more ACC championships, BCS bowls, that came from a collective cohesive operation. And not that outside opinion affects that with the coaching staff, but it does affect that within the program. And that's really what I was trying to say. And not to, and that people are entitled to their opinions and I'm okay with that. It doesn't, for me, you obviously want your fans to to appreciate or to be in favor of what you do or to understand why you do what you do, but you're never going to please everyone. We all know that. But our kids are the ones that they, they don't know the difference. And they, like, I really, during the season, I have no idea what's said about them. I know a lot of people say that, but I actually don't. The, the critical stuff that I got during the year, I got that because Mike Goforth, I hadn't been in the office in three weeks on a Sunday, because I'd been out with COVID. I was in there the Sunday after the Carolina game. After a staff meeting, we were in the team room. And Mike says, and they printed off packets of the injury report. At the end, Mike says, there's uh, on the emailed injury report, there's a couple more things. You guys check that when you get back to your offices. So when I went back to my office, I went to check for what Mike was talking about. And in there, there's my inbox is flooded at that point. And I'm like, oh, wow, like, okay. And that's that's what I saw. But after a couple, it was like, all right, like, yeah, you get it. I mean, it was that was tough. We got beat. We did not play well on defense. Like people are going to talk and that's okay. You move on. But our kids, on the other hand, they are of a different impressionable stage in their life. And that's all I was really trying to say was let's support our kids or let's give our kids reason to support our program. So, you know, talking about these kids and getting them in the door. Um, wanted to ask about recruiting during COVID over the last year, as opposed to kind of recruiting now, and the door has become open. Kids are getting on campus. Um, you know, first of all, how much of an advantage is it to get kids on campus at Virginia Tech, boots on the ground for a visit? 
And two, you know, we, we've had a solid uh, June and July. Where do you attribute the positive recruiting momentum coming from recently? Um, well, I think that to answer that portion of the question, it's a collective effort. I mean, it really is the entire building on board from equipment to the medical staff to uh, professors, which is outside the building, but on campus to all of the recruiting staff, every coach, every GA, every volunteer, every support staff, it's everybody involved. And you never know which person coach Fuente is, is. I took this from him. You never know which relationship is going to be the one that makes or breaks the recruiting process. And it, it's important that everyone has their best foot forward. That's important. The facilities being completed, we zoomed and showed the kids what was going to be completed. And then when they got to come on campus, they got a chance to see that. And, and I'm, uh, I, I'm back and forth with, I love our facilities, but I'm back and forth with broadcasting your facilities because everyone has them. It, it's, we all have nice facilities, some better than others, but we all have nice facilities. And I don't want kids to lose the message of the people being the difference in the place. Now, Virginia Tech is unique because it's really simple. I mean, if you're being recruited by Pittsburgh, by Virginia Tech and by Miami, do you want to be in an urban environment where you're in a city when you go to class or when you're not in class, not in practice, or do you want to be in a rural college town area and you get a chance to tangibly see, touch and feel that? Uh, I think also you get a chance to casually meet people that may know that you're hosting one of the top recruits or they may not know. So you get a chance to get a feel for some of the people. You get a chance to see the relative distance from place to place where you would sleep, where you would eat, where you would train, where you would practice, where you dress in the locker room. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that's important. But I think for us, uh, what's given us a little bit of uh, the, the momentum and the boost in June and July has been that I think in person parents, families, support groups, the prospects themselves, they get a chance to see genuine. And I think that that's really easy to tell. It doesn't matter a person's age or IQ level. I think we pretty much all have a good litmus test, a moral compass for genuine versus not. And I think that the people that come on our campus, whether we say what they want to hear or don't, whether they see what they want to see or don't, I do think that they see genuineness from every person that they meet. And I think that's been a, a big impact for us. So coach, you know, looking ahead to this upcoming season, we're all really excited for September 3rd. Who are some of those guys on defense that we should see taking the next step this year? You know, whether it be physically uh, who've been really working hard in the weight room or they've taken a leadership role uh, that you hadn't seen from them, or they're just looking like an absolute beast on the field. Yeah, that's another good question. The first answer for the two players are going to be somewhat obvious, but um, Amari Barno and Shamari Connor, and both of those guys, they've been very productive, but they've taken on leadership roles that has, has been pleasantly surprising for me. Not that I thought either was incapable of doing that. It's just that I hadn't really seen it. And they've both taken on ownership of trying to carry the message that we want as a program and as a defense. Uh, that's been encouraging. And another one, Jermaine Waller, with having an actual offseason to prep his body, um, is a, a guy that, you know, we're same thing, leadership characteristics and uh, a mature guy. 
Um, apart from those guys, Alan Tisdale, um, you know, I think the birth of his child has been life changing for him. And that's beyond football, but football is a part of it. Uh, it's like he's a, a different person. And I've actually had conversations with his mother because he calls me pops. And I don't take that lightly. Like, I want to try to to play that role for him. And I've had conversations with his mother about he's been night and day for us. And she said the same thing. So, you know, football is going to be a part of that for him, I believe. But just in general, like the kid's life is literally being changed before our eyes, which is obviously awesome to see. Um, you know, Dorian Strong is a guy that we saw come onto the scene. He had a really good true freshman year. I've been and Coach Smitty does an excellent job with those guys, but have really been trying to encourage him to understand the difference between a great true freshman year and a great career and how you continue to build on that. It doesn't mean you've got to think you need to be someone else. You need to be something different than what you've been. You just need to improve what you do and who you are. And I think he's taking to that. Um, Narelle Pollard and Mario Kendricks are two guys that uh, Narelle has taken on a leadership role. Narelle is, uh, you guys should try to spend time with Narelle because now you're going to need a bleep button. I'm letting you know that right now. Uh, and it's not because he's like trying to put on this persona. It's just, that's just, he's going to be who he is, whether he's talking to me, whether he's talking to coach Fuente, whether he's talking to you guys, president of the United States, he's going to be who he is. Um, but, and Mario is another one, you know, Mario and hopefully Jordan Williams will be a good impact for those guys uh, with their urgency, with their attention to detail, with their practice habits, with their motors. Um I know Keontae Jenkins is a kid that, um, you know, when people say don't judge a book by its cover, he is the epitome of that. Uh, you know, I judged the kid when I was watching him play as a high school prospect. I He went onto the field. He never unbuckled his helmet. He would come off the field when he was not in the game. His helmet would never be unbuckled. He would sit on the bench. His head would be in his hands. His head would be down. He had was not looking at all at what's going on on the field. And I'm thinking like, I don't know if we want this type of guy in our program. And I talked to him some time after that. And I said, what was that about? And he was like, once I buckle my helmet, it's like, I'm locked in, I'm focused. And I don't want to unbuckle it because I feel like I lose my focus. So that gave me good insight into that. And I said, so tell me about then why you got your head down all the time on the sideline. He was like, I'm going back over, all the plays that happened on that previous series, what I think they're going to do next, like how they're going to try to attack. And it was like, wow, there's like a ton of depth to this kid. And that's what he does. Uh, Matt Cardulis, our former GA, he said the same thing when he's coaching the safeties when I'm out with COVID. And because we had that information on him as a recruit, he was able to communicate with him during the NC State game. And, and he played really well. Uh, but he's a guy that is mature beyond his years. He's stepping into a tough role coming behind Di Divine Diablo, but he's capable. And I don't want to rush him to say you need to be Divine Diablo. I want to develop him at his own pace. But I think he's a guy that could have a, a good impact for us. Um, getting Devin Hunter back has been like on so many levels. We could do a podcast on that alone. Um, but I think that, I mean, it's a guy that, for lack of better terms, has a new lease on life. And I don't mean to make light of the situation. I mean to say that's truly how that kid feels. Um, and then, you know, apart from those guys, 
Um, you have a guy like Dean Ferguson, who's going to have a chance to play a really big role for us. Ty Garbett is going to have a chance to get an offseason and come on names that we know, but guys that were kind of deprived a little bit of their development. Uh, Nasir Peoples is another guy that's in that category. Devin Taylor, Tay Daly, those guys like, you know, and when I mention these guys, they're all good kids. They're all mature kids. They all want to be coached. They all want to do what any coach asks them to do. And that's always encouraging. If we do our jobs as coaches and they do their part as players, I think that that's amongst other people that I'm sure I'm leaving out that that's a group of guys that we feel like give us some really good balance and leadership on our side of the ball. So coach, first off, that was awesome. I just got to say, it's a preview. We don't even have to. First off, that was just incredible. Um, You know, for the guys who are on campus right now, we've had several coaches on our podcast, coach Fu, coach Foster. We've had coach Mike Young on here. We're always curious what is your sales pitch to a recruit to a recruit considering Virginia Tech? And what is your favorite element of the recruiting process as a whole? So my favorite element is easy. It's truly getting to know the prospect and his support group, the people he's going to call when things are the worst that they in his mind could be short of a tragedy. And the people that are going to humble him when he starts to feel a little bit better about himself than maybe he should. It's connecting with those people and finding out how can we help you finish the race that you started of raising him from young man to grown man. That's by far the best part of the deal. Uh, The pitch is really, I like to think that I don't have a pitch because there's no way that a pitch is going to stand the duration of a four to five year window with all the ups and downs. My thing is that I'm going to do everything in my power to help you develop as a young man. And that's athletically, that's academically, that's spiritually, that's socially. That's one of uh, the core principles of Coach Foos Pyramid, which I already believed in. But then I want you to identify as much more than just a football player. This is about so much more than just football. Football is going to teach you lessons that – other things in life that very few things in life can teach you. And I want you to understand that I see you when you're on the film as a corner or a D end or as a linebacker, or as a safety, but that's not all I see you as. And that shouldn't be all you see yourself as. Cause I've done that. I've been the guy that identifies as a player, as an athlete, when that's taken away and it's going to be for 99.999% of us and them, it's going to be taken away when you still have the ability to play. You actually probably have more ability than when you did play. So I don't want that low pit, that dark time for them. And that doesn't mean that it's always going to happen. But that's, but the other thing, the, the biggest pitch, I guess, if I had one is either this game is going to use you or you are going to use this game. And if you come to Virginia Tech, what we're going to do is we're going to do everything that we can possibly do for you to allow you to use this game for your family, for your wife, for the rest of your life. And that doesn't mean we're going to tell you what you want to hear. That doesn't mean you're going to be asked to do things just like how you envisioned it. That doesn't mean that every day is going to be rainbows and lollipops. In fact, it probably means that there's going to be a lot of times we don't agree. And a lot of times that you feel like you made the wrong choice or you feel like you're not going to be good enough or you feel like someone else is getting opportunities that you deserve. 
But if you will continue to trust us, if you will stay the course and finish the race, I promise you, you will leave here a better person than you came in. And at the end of the day, what more can we ask for? Coach, I want to ask you specifically on the, on the, on the defensive philosophy as a whole, what is the, so you broke it down from what you want to be as a program and how you want to develop kids. When somebody asks you, what is the MO of the Justin Hamilton off uh, the Justin Hamilton defense? Uh, how does this compare? How does this differ from what we've seen from coach Foster for decades? Um, what is the coach Hamilton defense? I think uh, just philosophically, and this is obviously with the way our season went, I understand what the response, the immediate response to this answer, this part of the answer would be. But we are going to be, and this is almost directly from Coach Foster, but we're going to play with guys that understand how to take correct angles and understand leverage we're going to play with guys that are contact seekers, whether it be taking on blocks or whether it be in tackling. And we're going to play with guys that will play harder for each other. That's for their defensive guys on the field. That's for the guys on the sideline. That's for the offense. Harder for each other than anybody. That's who we're going to play with. And that really is basically derived from Coach Foster. I don't know that he's put it in those terms, but that mindset is directly from Coach Foster. And that's what we're going to do. And having no offseason, all that stuff, we, we it's – there's no reason to go back into it, but I get that we didn't always look like that, but we there was very little time to prepare like that. What I hate about 2020 more than anything is we were just trying to put together, like, how can we have 11 guys in some sort of position to go do things they know how to do? We didn't get to, to implement core values. We started on it this spring, obviously was not perfect, but we built on it, and that's what we're going to be philosophically. Structurally, with Bud Foster's system, one of the things when I came back in 2018, I'd always come to visit here, no matter where I was, once I got into coaching, and I'd always followed what was going on, but it was only a one-day snapshot. When I got back in 2018, I was very interested in what has changed over the time of me not being here as a player and now me being back. And the biggest thing of all was that, and with Coach Foster, trust me when I say this, like the guy is the best defensive coordinator of all time. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. So whoever's listening, if you have pull to get this guy in the Hall of Fame, he should be the first assistant in the Hall of Fame. But what I noticed was that our linebackers fit in the run game the same all the time. They had the same fit rules. Well, that's great when you've got guys that have done that over and over and over and over. That's really good. And obviously it was really good for a long time, the longevity of his career where it caused some stress and some issues was on the other positions where it was. And, and I didn't learn that until I was coaching the safeties where I'm thinking like, OK, I've got to teach them how the linebackers fit. They need to understand how the linebackers fit so that they can then know where they belong in the equation. And my first order of duty was to try to streamline that a little bit. That was the, the biggest thing that I tried to alter a little bit was that. And besides that, that it was having some layers, having some, you know, you see with Coach Foster and we all saw it, that it was attack, aggressive, attack, aggressive, and it was great. And for some times there was the top or top two, three, five defenses in the country, but it was you would notice as a Virginia Tech fan that there would be some times that if a play hit, it was a big play. 
So I thought maybe we can try to account for that, use the same system of things he used, but have some more layers to the defense so that we have people at different levels. And in large part, the RPO games that you get so much of now, people did that because of Coach Foster, like not just him, but because it was like, all right, there's too many guys for us to block. Let's create layers to our offense so that we can try to counter what he's doing on defense. And so I tried to evolve with the times with that. And, and it was studied over a long course of time. But when you do that, and then when you have coaches that, as we mentioned, get ripped out of the office because we can't be around each other. So now we're coaching over Zoom. We're coaching off a video that they've never coached and only I've coached. And then our kids don't get to learn the new rules that you're trying to give them. And they don't see how closely related they are. They just hear new. Then it becomes like, all right, and, and if I could go back, I don't know what I would do, but I would probably try to make things a little more simple on the front end to where it's like, all right, you have this, you have that. Let's go. If it's good enough, structurally great. If it's not, then at least we have everybody on the same page. And now what would have happened is people would have attacked us in ways that I don't know that we would have been equipped to adjust to. But that's ultimately what I try to do. We're still going to be aggressive. That doesn't mean blitzing. That means we're going to play aggressive. We're going to challenge people. We're going to try to, as best we can, create looks that an offensive coordinator or a quarterback see at the beginning of a play or while they're getting lined up that look different when the ball snapped. Because if you're stagnant, then it's too easy for guys to get into things that they want. But we're also going to try to be binary, where you have this or you have that. Those are your rules. And then we're going to be fundamentally sound. We're going to be technically sound and we're going to be prepared for situations that show up. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it does mean we're going to be prepared for those situations. And our kids are going to know what to do. They're going to try. And as coaches, we're going to coach them and put them in positions to do things that they know how to do and that they can physically do. That's what we're going to be. And I will stand by anything on that. If we truly do that, then I can sleep at night saying we gave our kids the best opportunity. We gave our offense the best opportunity to help us as a program and as a team win games. I asked earlier um, in this podcast about the impact that coaches had as you were coming through, coming through the ranks and what you've pulled from them. Um, I know him personally. Uh, he's definitely got a different stroke. He's a little, he isn't as outward facing as someone as coach Beamer was or as someone uh, like you are. Uh, but I just want to understand your relationship with Coach Fuente, uh, how he's impacted you as a coach, um, and what, uh, who is he? I think the ACC extra was fantastic, the 30 minutes that we got. I mean, that was incredible footage and just incredible look into kind of how he goes about his day. You go about your day, and um, I, I watched it four, five, six times. Uh, it, was, it was just a great uh, look inside of what's going on. But who is Coach Fuente? What is the impact he's had on you? Um, just going to ask you that. If you guys didn't ask me, I was probably going to volunteer it anyways <laughs> within this. So uh, this is going to be going all the way back. So I wrote those letters, as I mentioned, and I would always come to the prospect camps here. I come twice a year, once to visit with Coach Foster and the staff, and then to at least one of the one-day prospect camps. Well, this particular year was prior to the 2017 season. I had written them twice. Excuse me. And I'm, he wrote me back both times. So I'm thinking, like, we're kind of pen pals at this point. So now when I'm when I see him and we all do the thing, like if, if you're going to go have a chance to meet somebody that's 
a prominent figure to you, like you play in your mind, okay, here's how this is going to be scripted, how it's going to go. And, and I'm a person that you can probably tell through my answers that I like to try to weigh a bunch of different scenarios out. So I'm thinking, all right, how's this going to play? And I kind of just gradually make my way over. He's always standing by the 40 lines and I just gradually make my way over. So I'm thinking it's going to go something like, Hey, I'm the guy that wrote you those two letters that you responded back to. How's it going? And then it's going to be a conversation where we're going to like get to know each other's wives and kids and like all this. Well, the way it actually goes is, Hey coach, how you doing? And it was basically like, sup, like was what was the response was so and then I'm thinking like wow like this is going to be this is going to be more difficult than I thought and I left it alone I moved on well then when I get we have our our meeting when I got hired here and it was very cordial it was very it was awesome he wanted to know my story he told me his and and you know we toured around the building talked a little bit and then that was it well once I got hired then I'm in the building for probably like two months. I mean, spring ball is done. It's we're in and out of spring ball. And I got here in February and I didn't even know if he knew, like I worked here. My office was, if you've been in our building, I'm, I'm in the, where Zach Lance and Lino are now I'm next to the, the fridge and the break room in the annex in the annex. And <laughs> the only people that ever saw me were like going, and I'll be in the defensive room a lot, but the only people that ever see me were cutting across from the kitchen, going to the bathroom. And I didn't know that he, I'd walk past him in the hallway and he'd have his head down. And it was like, I, I didn't know that he knew I worked there. Well, I, at some point, a random day, Adam Lechtenberg says to me like, Hey, uh, coach Fuente is fired up that you're here. And I'm like, what? Like, why? I don't get that. Like, how are you getting that? Well, two things to that point. One when he's at those prospect camps or when he's walking through the hall with his head down, he's working, he's working. And when he's working, he is looking at life through a straw. Like he's on his way to whatever is the matter at hand. And that's what it was. He's a guy that's very diligent in that way. And a guy that's very focused in that way. And the part about him being fired up, he's very observant. I had no idea. I really didn't know what I was supposed to do or not do. And I just thought, all right, well, I'm going to bring juice. I'm going to bring passion. I'm going to bring energy. And I'm going to try to get to and relate to as many guys on this team as I can. I had no idea who was watching. I had no idea if I was supposed to do that or not supposed to do that, whether it was right or wrong, whether what I was doing was right or wrong. And he's one of the most observant people that I've ever met. Well, then uh, when it came to being in the interim role as the safeties coach, he calls me and, and it was like, hey, this is what you're going to do. And I'm like, uh, all right, I, I'm in the middle of something. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll go do it. And that was it. Go on the road, go recruit. And then it was go to the prospect camps, the travel camps and all that. I had no idea that I was auditioning for the job. It was just like, go do it. Well, then when we hired coach Nix, uh, he called me up, brought me in and he was like, Hey, this was a tough decision. You know, I felt like we had a guy with some experience that was a former coordinator, you know, I feel like it's, it's good for what we need right now. And I understood that and respected it. And he told me straight up and honest, he didn't have someone else tell me he brought me into his office and he told me straight up. Well, along the process, um, you know, I had so, a couple of opportunities at some other places and I took those to him. I said, coach, Hey, I've got this, you know, I don't really think that I want to do it, but I'm just letting you know, because there were, you know, never know when a head coach may get contacted. And I, I finally was like, you know, I really don't want to go anywhere. 
Um, but I just want to make sure that you're aware of it. So it doesn't look like I'm backdooring anything. And he was like, you know, I think you're doing a great job. Just keep doing what you're doing. If you want to go somewhere, I'll support you all the way. If you don't, then I'll support you all the way. And I always respected that. The fact that he was like, Hey, if you want to go, I'll do anything that I can do for you. And then when the safety's job came open, uh, I'll never forget this. I will always appreciate it in the staff room. There's a V shaped table. Uh, you guys saw it from the picture when he announced he was coming back. Uh, on the wall is where the GAs and support staff sit. I was sitting on the wall in my chair. He comes in. He looks down at me. He nods his head down towards the floor, and then he nodded his head over towards the seat at the V-shaped table. <laughs> and like That was basically how it was like, hey, man, you're going to be the safeties coach now. Um, and that, that's who he is. He's like, to me, I have not met his father much. I've met him. I've spoken with them, but it's not been like, I can't say I know him, but I know from coach Fuente's stories that his father was the type of man that coach Fuente always wanted to please or impress. He always wanted to do right by his father. And his father was the type of guy that I imagine to his face was never showering him with praises, but behind his back was never allowing anybody to ever speak ill will about his son. But he would always tell, basically infer you're capable of more like that's great what you've done but you're capable of more and he was always a guy that would humble him and i truly believe that coach fuente feels like when the spotlight is on him when the microphone's in front of him when he's the subject the main subject of the conversation that he feels like he wants that to be on his team. He feels like he wants that to be on other people. I truly believe that. And maybe it comes off in ways that people don't necessarily agree with or don't necessarily like, but he's being true to himself. And I'll always respect that. And he always does everything he does with somebody else in mind. That's He always operates that way. He never operates with himself in mind first. It's always about the concept that's bigger than him, about the kid, about the parents, about the coaches, about the coach's family. It's always about people besides him. And that's truly who he is to his core. And I'll always appreciate that. I think that that's been kind of uh, – we were raised similarly but differently. Uh, but I think that the values he holds true – I think we hold those same values true. We're different people. The way that we communicate, the way that we put ourselves out there or don't is different, but that's because it's two people who have very similar core values who try to stay true to those. And regardless of whether that's a rocket ship to success or an elevator to something else, a downward elevator, I mean, we, we both are people that are going to make our bed saying we're going to be true to who we are and what we believe in. So, Coach, that wraps it up for questions that we had for you. And uh, we're going to kick it over to the letters from the lunch pail brought to you by our friends at the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry. And these are uh, these are Twitter uh, Twitter submissions that we got over the past week. So we'll kick it off uh, with Sean Kim. I know you had mentioned the um, the philosophy and structure of the J-Ham defense. Sean's question is more so, uh, what is the importance of height and length in this scheme? Compare and contrast that to Bud's scheme. Uh, I know that recruiting uh, over the past uh, cycle, we've seen a lot of size and emphasis on size in the defense. Good question. When Coach Foster took over as defensive coordinator, the players that Virginia Tech was able to get in recruiting at the early portion 
were mostly guys that were under heralded and maybe overlooked. They got some really good players, but I think that's how it began. And he tailored his scheme to that. And it was obviously really good. And I think that he concreted that we don't have to go get a five-star 670 tackle or 670 in to make this work, to get pressure on the quarterback, to stop the run. We can do these things in that respect. We can do that. And he was exactly right. The way the game was played then, it was obviously, it was a philosophy that was tried and true and worked. For the current state of college football and my philosophy, with having to defend the entire field horizontally and vertically, and with having to have guys play, when I say dual responsibilities, I mean if I'm a defensive end and the quarterback is giving the ball to the running back or pulling to keep the ball in his own read scheme off of what I do, then defending the entire field, a guy able to play dual threats within the same play, if the field is going to continue to be 120 yards with the end zones by 53 and a third, and you can only play with 11 people and guys have to be in multiple places at once, length and speed are the ways that you account for that. So that's why I believe in that. I think that's probably where we differ. And it's based on the way the game was played when Coach Foster took over, what Virginia Tech was able to recruit, the way the game's played now, and what we're able to recruit. Hokey Joe, what do you think will be the biggest defense or the biggest difference with the defense this year from last? Uh, I'd like to just expand on that a little bit. What are some of the positions that you think will – uh, see the fiercest competition where you feel like you have a lot of talent and um, that's going to be a lot of competition here coming up in the summer from uh, from the spring? Yeah, so for the defense this year, it's like I mentioned earlier. I mean, we all every day in spring, we worked on angles. We worked on tackling every day. Uh, we also worked on taking the ball away every day. We did a good job in the interception category last year. We did not do a good job in the forced fumble category. I think you'll see us take better angles. I think you'll see us play with better leverage. I think you'll see us tackle better. And that's going to come with time, reps, and preparation. That's not from any type of – I mean, the drills we do are drills that have been done for a 1,000 years. But it's with putting emphasis on that and with sticking true to those themes. Um, as far as the positions, there's going to be a good amount of uh, competition at the linebacker spot, both of those spots. We have guys in Dax and Tiz that are – capable veterans that we feel really good about. But I mean, in spelling those guys, a lot of times they play a lot of reps on special teams or they're playing a lot of reps on defense. And there's going to be competition at who's going to be the guys that rotate with them in those positions. There's going to be competition at safety. You know, we've got a lot of guys at safety that are quality college football players. Some that played a lot of snaps last year and got better. Devin Taylor being one of those that, uh, you know, we had no idea he was going to be a safety when we got him and he took on the role. He did a really good job. Obviously, Devin Hunter comes back. So that adds to that competition. Um, and in that corner, I think at corner, there's always competition um, for those spots on the D line. You know, we've got to um, hammer out some of the depth things that we've got to deal with in that regard. And that's going to be, uh, you know, I don't know that there'll necessarily be as much competition there as there'll be need for development quicker than what we may have thought. But, um, you know, the other thing too, is that it also creates competition within the coaching staff room, not amongst us, but amongst how can we maybe not necessarily say it can only be one of these two guys that play this position. The other guy's got to be a rotating backup. How do we get both of them on the field 
is that the most advantageous thing for us to do? So there'll be some communication about that, some discussion. Um, but I would say linebacker and safety are going to be the top two for competition in, in fall camp. VT00SM asks, what have been the most difficult aspects of transitioning from a position coach to a coordinator? Ah, uh, so I guess, again, I said that I don't like doing military analogies and I'm going to do another one. But as a position coach, uh, you take orders and you move. As the coordinator, you're the general and nobody moves until you give the orders. And I think, you know, as a position coach, you a lot of times just live in the bubble of, I'm just gonna try to get my guys in the right spots, teach them what to do. Whereas for the coordinator, you've got to, of course, do that, but then you've got to take in the opinion of the position coach. One, do you agree with that? Two, do you agree with how we wanna coach it? And three, are we doing it in such a way that allows you to adequately teach the kids what to do? And you've got to take all that into consideration. Then you've got to take into consideration, well, if we try to tailor something for this position, what does that do to the other positions? How does that affect and impact them? How does that impact and affect their coaches? So you've got to see more of a, a big picture than on the ground, like it's the, the 25,000 foot view rather than the 10 foot view. Uh, and, at the same time, you've got to realize that in every situation on your side of the ball, you carry 51% of the vote. So it's important that you get that 49% input, but you've got to make some decisions that sometimes are not going to be popular. Sometimes they are. And when you make them, you got to stick by them. You got to give sound reasoning for why you did. And you've got to believe in it and move forward in such a way that everybody else is going to get behind it. Coach, this letter from the lunch pail comes from yours truly. Uh, during your playing time at Virginia Tech, you wore the orange shoulder number uniforms with the orange accented white numbers. On the nostalgia factor alone, those, uni those uniforms are your universal favorite of Hokie Nation. I've seen Clark Ruland uniform teasing photos out here on Twitter, but he could just be playing. I know he likes to do that. We love him. Is there a chance we see anything like that this fall any kind of variant all right so and this might ostracize me from Hokie Nation but I'm gonna say and it was insider trading that you got your question into the lunch pail by the way <laughs> but but so those uniforms were and I hate to even admit to this but they were part of the reason why I considered Tennessee over Virginia Tech what because wow. it was like now, I'm 17 years old, maybe 18. I'm giving you this in confidence. I know it's going out to the masses, but Tennessee. I just thought – I just <laughs> thought, No, it was Virginia Tech and Tennessee. That's where I was going, one yeah. or the other. But I was like, I don't know if I can do those uniforms. I don't know if I can wear those. Those, like – those to me were, were – they were tough. Obviously, I got past that, and I wore them proudly. Um so that part of the question, uh, I have no input on uniforms. The only thing that I've tried to somewhat put a little bit of input on uniforms is from this standpoint, that we have a group of guys on our team that are chosen based off of academics or based off of practice production, based off of something where maybe we select one, two, three guys 
to choose, like you give them options, but you say you can choose between these options for a uniform com uh, combination this week. So I've made that suggestion. I don't know if it'll pass or not. I don't know what uniforms we actually have available to us that we could break out this year. I don't know which ones we're going to wear. And I kind of, it's like the guy that chooses music at practice. I kind of don't want to have any say so because it's really a thankless job. Like it's a very difficult job to say, we're going to go forward with this knowing that there's going to be a contingency of people that are going to be like, why would you ever do that? So I stay away <laughs> from that. Fair. What are your, what is your personal favorite then? I gotta, I gotta ask that follow-up. Of course. Well, personal favorite is, and this is the black uniforms from Boise state are like, and maybe because they were only worn one time. I really like the Hokie stone Jersey, the Hokie stone helmet, eh, but the black, Helmet with the Hokie Stone inside the VT with the Hokie Stone uniform, I really like. From the traditional standpoint, and maybe this is biased, but the uniforms that we wore after the orange numbers when I was still here, when we went to the ACC, those are my personal favorite. And that's probably either maroon on maroon or white on white of those uniforms. So Steve Bryce submits this question. He says, if, if Coach Ham could only have one position group with all Americans on it, and the other two were average, which one group would he pick and why? Defensive line, linebacker, or defensive backs? Tough question. <laughs> I, think, I think the only two answers in my mind that are correct, obviously it's subjective, but are D-line or DBs. Now, I'm going to say D-line in this particular answer because if you have four guys – that can really disrupt for all American caliber guys that can disrupt the run game and create pressure on the quarterback. I think that's, that's paramount. Like it's hard to top because they affect the game. The corners or the, the safeties safeties affect both corners really are only major factors in the passing game. Defensive line, they have great impact on both. I think I would choose. Again, and I have to ask this, Coach. Uh, we asked about depth on the defense. I want to ask you specifically about defensive line depth. Uh, I'm curious to know if some of the roster changes or departures this year change anything schematically. Who are guys you're looking to step up? How do you think that you'll address the, uh, the depth concerns at the defensive end position? Yeah, we get back in the office tomorrow for the first time. We've been on vacation for a couple of weeks, and that's going to be the first topic that we discuss. Uh, but, you know, I, I, what we do is we look at the young guys that we've brought in, and, you know, we take a look at where they've developed in the weight room, and, and we give them opportunities. It's going to be quicker than what we may or they may have thought, uh, but opportunities at those positions. And then the other thing is uh, structurally it's not going to change us. Um, you look at how do you, who do you have at other positions? And that's probably coming from linebacker or big safeties, but who do you have at other positions that, and I don't mean to say can go play defensive end, but that are flexible enough to go and do some things that they already do within your system, but you just have them do it more or you have them do something that they're already doing less than what they've been doing uh, to get your best 11 on the field. But you don't, to me at least, you don't really want to adjust too much structurally because that goes back to now trying to account and tailor to one position 
so much that you take everything that we've been working through in the spring and the off season and through summer and you alter that for all the guys that have spent their time learning it. But I think uh, we, I have a good plan in mind. I spent a lot of my time on vacation, just some free time, um, you know, just spitballing some ideas on my surface and uh, laying it out. And I'll get with our coaches tomorrow and we'll have a good lengthy conversation about that. And I think we'll come with something that's going to make us all feel good about accounting for some depth. And last question here uh, from Letters of the Launch Pail from Hokie Dave. Last year, which one scout team offensive player gave your defense fits? Love this question. This is great this question. Might be the best. Uh, this might be the best letter from the lunch pail that we've had this year. I think. Great question. That is that is excellent. Um, I would say Dalen Wright. I would say Dalen Wright, and Dalen is a kid that just like all of us, and by us I mean me too. When as a freshman you come in the doors following a sharpie line on a card and doing it because somebody that's holding it tells you to do it. Uh, and you don't have a whole lot of initial spunk about that. And Dalen may or may not have gone through a little phase of that, but when he bought in, he was very difficult for our guys to cover. I mean, he's, he's a talented kid. He bought into his role and I think and hope that as he continues to develop, he'll find that the work he put in on that side of the ball or on that portion of being on that side of the ball was very beneficial to him and to us. Coach, the last thing that we have for you, uh, Sharky shout outs, just an opportunity for you to shout out whatever you have going on. Uh, where can we find you on Twitter? And um, just kind of this is your time to, to address anything we haven't addressed or plug what you have going on. All right. Well, um, at coach underscore ham on Twitter. Um, my wife is, she's kind of become a self-promoted de facto publicist. She tells me that I need to be more active on social media. She's not on Twitter though. So I don't know how to take that. Uh, she's on everything else. It seems like, but she's not on Twitter. Um, so that's going, my wife is the head coach of our house. It's not in question at all. I got 51% of the vote on defense. She has like 91% of the vote in my house. Um, I am for me, if I'm not in the building working, it's, uh, 90% of my time. I'm a dad and a husband, just like anybody else out there. That's a father and a husband. Uh, and the other 10%, if I have time and if the stars align, I'm trying to work on my golf game. Like that's basically what I'm doing and where I am when I'm not doing something football recruiting related. Um, but, you know, I, I don't have a lot going on. I'm a really boring person. Uh, if you gave me any place on earth I could be, if if I could snap my fingers and be there, I'd be in San Diego or I'd be at Hilton Head. But San if Diego, I have to do the traveling, live, coach. yeah, yeah, I know. I know when you mentioned right San here. Diego, I got jealous. <laughs> but um, if I have to do the traveling and all that, you tell me the same question, then I'm going to be sitting on my spot on the couch with my wife and my kids. Um, and, you know, that's pretty much who I am. Like, I'm, I'm not nearly as interesting as some people may think. Um, but I will say that if it's mentioned or spoken publicly from me, whether it be my own voice, whether it be my own Twitter fingers, I try to give it thought. I try to be insightful and give it thought. And I do understand that 
we have a passionate fan base. We have a passionate alumni base. We have a passionate group of people that all they ultimately want to see is Virginia Tech winning games, competing for championships, and giving pride to our university. And we are all on the same page in that respect. I will say that. Coach, thank you so much for your time. Looking forward to it, and best of luck in this upcoming season. Thank you, gentlemen. Go Hokies. Go Hokies. Enjoy the couch. <laughs> That's, That's right. where I'm headed right now. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> it's time to wander, tripping in the sand. We smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand. But I saw you dance like you want to in my head. And all that she said is, oh, I know what you're thinking. to you.